good to see all of you. I worried when I pulled in the parking lot this morning up on the upper parking deck, there were like two cars up there. I thought, is this the week we're going to Northside? <laughs> Did I get the wrong week? <laughs> Am I in the wrong place? Is there no one here? And I was, I was a minute late walking into worship, and I think there were 13 people in there or something. Al and I are looking at each other. <laughs> it was good to see Al there handing out bulletins. Like, okay, we are having church today. So it's good. Good to see you here today. And um, I'm grateful for Jason filling in for me last week. Um, my wife and I went to Indianapolis uh, for the weekend. Our, uh, our middle daughter is doing a one-year uh, internship up there uh, in a really interesting place. I'll tell you about some other time. Um, really interesting congregation that lives in a pretty interesting, difficult part of town. And uh, anyway, she's she's working 32 hours a week, week in a for a nonprofit resettlement, refugee resettlement, and then working in a in a church. And um, so we just going up there to. Um, I know the people she's working with, but my wife didn't, so we went up there so um, we'd all have a little more comfort with her being up there for a year. <laughs> so we had a good weekend, so I appreciate Jason uh, filling in, and uh, it's good to, to hand off the, the Old Testament stuff to your Old Testament scholars, so I always feel good when uh, Jason's teaching any day, but particularly feel good when he's teaching stuff that's in his own backyard. Um, so we're talking about the creeds for the foreseeable future. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, thinking of the creeds as, as something that's being handed down to us, a little, bit like a, uh, a little bit like a photo album, right? Something's been handed down to us that's uh, precious, um, that uh, is, is bigger than us, that reminds us who we are, it's an aid to memory. And um, I was trying to think of a, a different metaphor for this week, because one of the things that that's sort of is unsettling about the creeds at, at one level is you think, um, they're so short, Apostles Creed for sure, and you think there's so much that's left out, and that's true. Um, no one thinks that the, the Apostles Creed, for example, is everything you need to know about the Bible. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth, but it's intended to be, uh, as we said last time, I mean, it's, um, first, it's a confession, um, and we'll come back to that, but it, it's, it's also, I was thinking this week, it's also a kind of, uh, maybe think of it as a map, right? Think of it as a map, and there are different kinds of maps with different kinds of detail, right? Um, if you want to travel from uh, Johnson City uh, to Beulah Dean, North Carolina, okay, you need a certain kind of map, okay? One with some considerable detail, because Beulah Dean's not the biggest place on the face of the earth. It's a lovely place to live and enjoy the mountains. That's their tagline, if you didn't know that. Uh, and it is, okay? Um, if you want to travel from uh, Johnson City uh, to Memphis, you need a different kind of map, right? Doesn't that necessarily have to have quite as much detail. It's pretty much highway, 
right? Um, you, you could, yeah. You wouldn't need much at all. Um, if you're traveling from Miami to Seattle, you need a different kind of map. Um, and so you might, in some ways, you might think of uh, Creed as kind of a, a map of the United States. Okay? You know, when you have your, back when people use maps, I love talking to this crowd because you remember maps. <laughs> and, and, and you probably actually know how to use one. You know, you don't just, it's like, uh, some in this crowd probably, I, you know, I don't know how to use a GPS. Like, I'm still a map person, right? But we used to have, one of the things we used to love, even in my generation, right, was when we go on a trip, I mean, our kids would love sitting in the back of the, our minivan and have the map, right? And we'd ask questions of each other, like, you know, what are the top largest cities in, you know, Nebraska? Didn't know Nebraska had five cities, right? <laughs> How would I know? I can't name five cities in Nebraska, let alone the top five. Right, so it's just fun, right? And, um, and of course, at the, in the front of that atlas, you have sort of the, the US map, right? And then you can go to Nebraska if you want, or some other state, or go to Tennessee, and it's got a Tennessee map, and it's got smaller sort of, you know, here's Memphis, here's Nashville, a little map of that, with greater detail. Well, the Creed is like the big map, right? Um, how do you know you're even in the United States? Right. Well, how do you know we're even talking about the Christian faith here? Uh, the creed sort of gets you on the map. Right? It sort of lays out in not great detail, right? Everything you want to know, but it sort of sets the boundaries, if you will, of of the territory called the Christian faith. And you might say, well, isn't there a lot more you'll need to know? Of course, uh, yes, of course there is. Absolutely. Um, but it's also good to be reminded where you are. Right? What, what sort of what makes us? You know, what are the boundaries that make us the United States? Um, what are the boundaries? What are the, what are the central confessions that Christians have thought that sort of delineate who we are as the church? Not everything. But just because it's not anything doesn't mean it's not nothing, right? It's, it's pretty clear. It's helpful to have the big picture. And so, as we'll see, even today, um, each, each of these words, in some ways, uh, leads you deeper into the territory. Because uh, to understand why this word, uh, or this phrase, enters the creed, is to find out that... Uh, these simple words arranged in this simple way open up this vast territory that we call the Christian faith. So, that's, so we're, we're trying to rehearse this and remember this for the next several weeks because um, it would seem a shame. Um, I mean, one of the things I love about photo albums is if they're your photo albums, it's not always the same if it's somebody else's photo albums. <laughs> But if it's your photo albums and you pull them out, I did this this past week, right? Um, 
there's some there's something uh, both fascinating and and moving and I mean it just it just grabs your attention and I worry that sometimes when we stand up on Sunday morning and say the creed our eyes just kind of glaze over as if, as if it's somebody else's photo album right we're trying to be polite right um, you all remember slides right right and I bet you almost everyone in here has been invited over to somebody's house in your life to see their vacation slides <laughs> I can't tell that story to my kids. They don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? You still remember those. Anybody in here still have a carousel player? A two or three. I still have one, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. But this is our photo album. Right, and we, when we stand up and say this creed, it sh it should touch us, right? and not least because, as we tried to suggest that first week, this is a confession. This is, if you will, a kind of pledge of allegiance. Okay, it's a kind of pledge of allegiance. We call it a creed because the first word in Latin of the creed is. Credo. Credo, which is Latin for I believe. Okay? I, I believe. And not just I believe that these following things are so. Right? It's not that kind of believe. We sometimes talk about that. Right? Um, I believe that such and such is so. I believe that it's going to be, you know, largely sunny today. Okay. Um, I believe that uh, Jason and his family are in Nashville this week. Okay. Um, I don't generally order my lives around just things I think to be so. I mean, occasionally they raise to that level, but not often. We just believe that this is so or that's so. Or, but this word credo and this notion of I believe, which comes taps into this notion of faith and trust in Scripture that we've talked about so much, really has to do with believing in something in a way that orients your life. Um, for example, there are plenty of people in the United States who believe in the American dream. That doesn't mean that they just believe that it's so. They believe in it. Lots of people in the United States believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Right? Doesn't just believe that that's some documents that they have. They believe that this ought to order our life together. They believe that it does and should. And so when we stand up and say, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we are saying something about what we place our ultimate trust in. Who we place our ultimate trust in. It is a kind of pledge of allegiance, if you will. Okay. We aren't standing up and saying, here's 12 dry facts that people who hang around United Methodist Church happen to think are so. 
Some, some are easier to think or so than others. Some are hard to think or so. Some are so hard to think they're so, we actually don't say those parts. We just get silent at those parts. Um, but those are things that people are supposed to think or so. And that's not what it is. Okay? It's not what it is. Um, remember, the, these have their origin in baptismal practice. Right? You were asked, right? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And the candidate for baptism said, I believe. Right? I'm pretty sure that if the candidate had said, I don't know. Maybe. I'm pretty sure the baptism's not going on. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. No, I mean, as Jason was saying last week, I mean, in the early church, one of the earliest creeds, one of the earliest statements of faith was just so simple. Jesus is Lord. And that could get you killed. So easy to forget that. I mean, that was a pledge of loyalty in a, in a time period when the normal pledge of allegiance was Caesar is Lord. So when you stand up before people and announce that Jesus is Lord, that's potentially dangerous. And it's possible, right? It's possible. Certainly it has been the case in the history of the church that when you stand up and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, these things are, can be countercultural, right? They remind us of who we are, who God is, and who God has called us to be. So these are not, you know, just sort of stodgy theological treatises to be pulled off the shelf and studied when you've run out of Sunday school material. No, this is at the core of who we are. Is it everything we need to know about who we are? No, it isn't. But there's, there's very little that you need to know about the Christian faith that doesn't hang on one of these central affirmations. Right? Um, so it's not simple happenstance that these things are in there. And they're, they're all rooted uh, in Scripture and the Christian tradition. So today I thought we would take just a little bit Right? I was going to try to take the whole first phrase. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Um, I don't think we can get that far today. <laughs> right? Uh, you're, and you're starting to think, well, gosh, we can't do that in one week. I'm thinking in Christmas. <laughs> Maybe. I have no idea. I haven't mapped it out yet. Um, we'll have to go. But it's pretty clear that just in these two affirmations, to believe in God the Father Almighty, we have more than we need for today. Okay. 
uh, more than we need for today. Now, one thing we'll probably say over and over again is um, the creed hangs together. And in other words, uh, things that are said early in the creed presume things that come later. And so it's, it's hard because words are linear. There's not much we can do about that, right? Words come one after the other. Um, but in some ways, we said, this is a story. One of the fascinating things about this is the creed is a kind of story. If you listen to it, I mean, it sounds like a story. Uh, just as the creeds that Jason talked about last week um, are a kind of story, that passage from... Deuteronomy 26, we may go back and look at that again or just remind ourselves this sort of, you know, our ancestor, our ancestor was a wandering Aramean, right? Uh, this tells the story of the heritage of Jacob. Um, but this is a story. And when you tell a story, it often presumes what comes afterwards if you know the whole story. So we see this at the very beginning. I believe in God the Father. Already to have said that much. Um, is already to have identified something about which God we're talking about. Right? This is God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Lots of people in lots of places believe in lots of different gods. This is not surprising to you. Uh, this is one, one reason why it's not necessarily all that heartening when you take surveys of people in the United States and ask them if they believe in God, and you can get somewhere in the mid-90s pretty regularly. That might be heartening. Could be. But it probably makes a difference, like, which God we're talking about. <laughs> right? I might happen to believe in a God of my own making. Right? Um, this, this, this creed is not uh, content to just let us say, I believe in a big black box called the God box, and you can fill it with whatever you want. It's not that. This, this creed has the audacity to name who this God is. Uh, and that can be offensive, right? It can make us uncomfortable, <clears throat> those who should know better, right? Um, because if you read the story of this God with this people, I mean, one of the challenges is we're, we're in the habit of making God in our own image, which is pretty much inside out, right? I mean, this, this story says God made us in God's image. and we turned around and made God in ours. And I don't think that was intended to be the way it worked. But this is God the Father. So already in the first couple of words there, you've identified this God as what the Christian church has called the triune God, the Trinity. Right? This is a God of relationship. Now it hasn't said anything about what's coming, but it's God the Father. And this God is Father, first of all, because this God, Christians have affirmed from the very early ages, this God is Father, first of all, 
because this God is Father of the Son, the eternal Son. This, this God is love because God has loved eternally the eternal Son. So God, this God is first of all Father because God is the Son of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before that word, that Son, took flesh in the person of Jesus Christ in first century Palestine, that Son was eternal. Now we'll have to talk more about that when we get to the second part of the creed. Because the creed is in three parts, right? Not surprisingly, right? A part for the Father, a part for the Son, and a part for the Holy Spirit. So even the structure of the creed is Trinitarian. But you see it already, just in the word Father. Just in the word Father. Now it's true that God is Father not only because God is Father of the eternal Son, but also because God is Father of all. I mean, you, you see this in, in Paul's um, preaching in, in uh, Athens. If you want to look at a passage of Scripture, um, we can look at Acts 17. Um, it's a pretty familiar passage. This is where Paul's uh, speaking in Athens uh, publicly uh, to the area, in, at the Areopagus, a uh, sort of public forum. Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. Right. So, the Greeks had lots of gods. Um, and it appears that they wanted to cover their bases. Right? Um, so they even had um, one to an unknown god, right? Um, they had lots of gods that they'd named, but what if you forgot one, right? So this was a place of worship for those who they may not know, which at some level is, is a kind of humbling, right? I mean, a kind of humble effort, right, to say maybe gods are bigger than us, right? Maybe there's some we don't know. So he said, I found among them an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, In him, he says, for even as one of your poets says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. So even, even then they had this notion that somehow that God, that they were the offspring of, of the gods, right? And Paul affirms that, right? Paul affirms that. But he wants to say, actually, this unknown God this God that you worship without a name is actually what I want to proclaim to you because 
there's actually a, a, a name for this God. And it's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's the true and only living God. And so, so Jesus is the son of this father. So even in this first phrase, you have implicated, if you will, almost the whole doctrine of the Trinity. Because Jesus, Jesus gets in trouble, you'll recall, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 5, where um, it's said that the authorities are, are seeking to kill Jesus. Why? Because he spoke of God as his father and made him, in so doing, made himself equal with God. Right? This is really early. Right? The, the church is, is what, do you, what do you make of this? And so from early on, the church is not willing to talk about some abstract being called God. Um, the Apostles' Creed is not a philosophical statement. Okay, it's not a philosophical statement. Uh, it's, not, it's not a scholarly statement. It's a confession about this story of who this God is. This God is the Father of the Eternal Son and also the Father of all. And, the, and part of the good news because the creed has gospel too, right? That's the point. It's a kind of summary of the gospel. Is that we, not only is God our Father by virtue of God having created all of humanity, and in some sense we are therefore all of God's offspring, but we also have the capacity to be adopted, right? Adopted sons and daughters um, by virtue of of Jesus. Right? This language of adoption is pretty prevalent in the New Testament. But this God is our Father in that sense. So we have this capacity not just to, to have God as our Father in some type of abstract, distant, uh, aloof way because God created everything. But no, there's this intimate relationship that God adopts us uh, into God's own family. And we talked about this uh, early in the summer. We were talking about images of God, and we talked about God as Father, right? That this wasn't um, some, I mean, we might think, well, calling God as Father back then was just, you know, sort of patriarchy. Of course, God was Father. But the stories Jesus tells about this Father cut to the heart of patriarchy, right? We talked about the story of the prodigal son and all the things that this father does which are not very patriarchal, right? Um, he gives the son his inheritance, right? He, he runs to meet him, right? Um, you don't even have to be a patriarchal society. I don't think we think of our society as a patriarchal society. But you tell me if your son or daughter asked for their inheritance before you're dead, right? Which was a much bigger offense in Jesus' day than it might be in ours, although I'm pretty sure it'd be offensive in our day, right? Um, and then they go and blow it 
right? And then they come groveling back to you. Are you really going to resist saying something along the lines of, I told you so? <laughs> are you really? Tell me you are. Tell me you're going to bite your tongue. And it's not even going to occur to say that, but when you see, when you see your son or daughter pull up in the driveway, you just, you got your bathrobe on, you don't care, you just rush out into the front yard, don't care what, if you scandalize the neighbors, you throw yourself around that son or daughter and say, throw a party. Are you really doing that? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Right? Um, we might get around after two or three weeks or a month to having some tender words for each other. But I'm thinking, you know, yeah, there's going to be some stern words. Right. So, when Jesus, again, when we say that, this is, we, I believe in God the Father. It's not just any father. Right? It's not just, imagine the best father you ever had and just, you know, take it times ten. This is a father of a very different kind. And it's not disconnected with the next word, which sounds, given, the, given what we've just said, sounds like it's intention. And it is, if we just think of this as sort of abstract philosophy. God the Father Almighty. Right. Almighty. And we hear that, and we think, okay, God's, this God is, is the power guy, right? The omnipotent one. And at one level, that's true. But in the same way that what Christians are saying when we say this, I mean, one of the reasons this, this creed is the creed of the church and not just sort of an abstract philosophy and why it's a confession is you, you have to know the story. You have to be well formed in the church to understand when we say we believe in God the Father, what we're saying and what we're not saying. I mean, it doesn't explain itself. You have to know the story. You have to know what kind of father this is. And the same thing goes here. When we say that we believe in God the Father Almighty, just as we had to let this God tell us what it meant to be Father, you have to let this God tell you what it means to be Almighty. Okay? And that's, that's a problem, because we think we already know. Because it sounds like an attribute of God. It just sounds like a philosophical attribute. God's Almighty. Um, and the word almighty is, is the translation of the Latin. I actually prefer the Greek version, which is ruler of all. Uh, almighty sounds like an adjective. It is an adjective, right? Uh, it sounds like an attribute of God. But ruler of all is, is a, it's a person, right? And, and the question is not whether, I mean, <laughs> the problem is for us, if you've grown up at all in in church circles or in, and got involved in church debates. There's all kinds of ridiculous questions we ask about God's omnipotence, like silly things. Um, probably when you were a kid, you argued with somebody in Sunday school, you know, 
can God make a rock so big God can't lift? Now that's a clever question. Right? Um, right? Because we're trying to test, like, what, what's it mean to say that God is all-powerful? What's, what's the lim Are there limits to that? Um, and Scripture is pretty clear that what it means to be ruler of all or almighty is God has all the power that God needs to do what God desires to do. Okay? Um, so it's not that God is, I mean, to say, if you think of it as a philosophical issue, God can do anything God wants to do. Then, then you're back with the Greek and Roman gods, right? Where God can be completely capricious. God can wake up tomorrow morning and decide, I just hate the creation. I know I said I loved it yesterday, but I'm God. I can do what I want. And I find you disgusting today, and I'm going to just, you know, I'm just not going to be your God anymore. Or, I know I bound myself to the people of Israel through Abraham and made these promises, but that was back then. I'm God, I can do what I want. No, that's not what Christians mean by God the Father Almighty. We tend, we tend as human beings uh, to be, at least many of us, not all of us, um, but we, we tend to be a little bit in love with power. And, and here's one of the ways that it's easy for us to create God in our image. We imagine that the Almighty God must love power because God's got it all. But that's not what the creed is affirming. The creed is not affirming the love of power. The creed is affirming the power of love. Okay? Not the love of power. This God is love. And that power is unstoppable. That's what the creed is affirming. And when you stand up and you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, that's what you're affirming. You're not affirming some abstract philosophical God who has all the power. You're affirming a God who has revealed that, that this God desires the well-being of all of creation and will not stop until God's purposes are accomplished. That's what you're affirming. Not some abstraction called omnipotence. This God who's ruler of all rules in a particular way. Right? This is no tyrant. This, this God is no tyrant who just you know, reserves all power to God and uses it willy-nilly. No, this God directs the course of history freely, still allows us our freedom, and yet will not even allow our evil to thwart the purposes of God. As providence would have it, the, uh, the passage that we're looking at in worship today is the story of Joseph. I mean, there, there may not be 
a, a more powerful story in the Old Testament of God's sovereignty. Again, we think of sovereignty, we, we think of, again, God, the power guy, directing everything. But, but what sovereignty means is God is capable of bringing about the purposes of God and will not, cannot be thwarted, even by our evil. And as we said in here before, that doesn't mean that God creates the evil, but that our evil choices doesn't thwart God. And you see that in the story of Joseph in such a powerful way. Imagine yourself being Joseph. You're having, a, you're having a family dinner. You step out for a moment and your brothers have a quick conversation. What are we gonna do with him? We got two choices. Kill him or sell him. They're having this conversation. Right? And the, and the kill them side looks like it's going to win. But finally the sell them side prevails. Now, if you find yourself being sold into slavery by your brothers, right? It's hard to imagine Joseph is saying, I see God in all of this. It's like, where the heck are you? Or when he's falsely accused, right, in Potiphar's house, and is thrown in prison, has every, every reason to believe he's going to die there. It's hard to imagine that he's thinking, oh, God's in this. God can somehow use this for good. No, he's probably thinking, what did I do? To deserve this. I was trying to do the right thing. I resisted her advances. And this is what I get. What's fair about that? Where's the God of justice in that? And then of course, he ends up being, right, he foretells dreams, he finds himself in, in the Pharaoh's court, he, he, he makes it possible not only to save the children of, of Israel from certain death through starvation, he also saves the whole kingdom of Egypt. And you just get just a tiny glimpse of God's promises to Abraham coming to pass, right? That through you and your lineage, all the people of the world will be blessed. Right? How could Joseph have ever imagined in his life that he would be, through this tortured set of circumstances, which were evil? God didn't make his brothers sell him into slavery. God didn't desire that. They shouldn't have done it. It was evil. And when Joseph, when they finally, he finally reveals himself to his brothers, says those beautiful words that, you know, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good. He's not saying that gets you off the hook. He's not saying God made you do it. He's not saying it's okay, it wasn't evil. No, it was evil, you shouldn't have done it. Nevertheless, 
God was able to do something beautiful with it. That's what it means to be sovereign. Right? Not that God's the power guy and can do anything God wants just on a whim. No, that God has revealed what God's purposes are. And they are for our good. God desires our good. God wants my good more than I want it. God knows what's good for me more than I do. At least that's what I'm trying to say when I stand up and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, that the life God wants for me is better than the life I want for myself. And I'm trusting in that God. I'm pledging my allegiance to that God, come what may. There could be plenty of times in my life and in your life when just like Joseph, it's not at all clear where God is. But we stand up and affirm this together because this is who we are. This is where our loyalties is. Loyalties are. I'm not counting on human beings evolving, progressing to the point in a hundred years, a thousand years, where we'll get all this figured out and things will be okay. That's not where I'm putting my trust. And my hunch is that's not where you're putting your trust, or at least I hope it isn't. We're putting our trust in God, the Father Almighty. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for welcoming us into your family by adopting us into your family, for wanting our good more than we want it ourselves, for being the kind of God who has revealed yourself as a God whose love cannot be stopped, whose love will have its way in the world. We give you thanks for your patience in that, that you're not coercing us by your love, but that you are ordering the world by and through your love for our good. May whatever we face this week or in the coming weeks, no matter how challenging, how confusing, how threatening, no matter how difficult it is for us to see you at work, we pray that by your Spirit you might give us that confidence and trust to believe that you are who you've revealed ourselves, yourself to be, and that we are secure in your hands. We pray this through the one who revealed your very heart, Jesus Christ.